All right, that was Shad. Welcome to Beyond Green, episode two. I'm here with Darren Kaster of the Green Majority. Hello there. And I'm obviously, or not obviously, but I'm Stephen Hostetter of the Green Society Campaign. First thing we're going to do on this was to talk about the comments we got in our last one. Yes, and the reason we're doing that is because we love comments. It's true. Uh, we got two of them, which I think is a win. I think uh, that's one each. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll take I'll take the first one. Okay. First one's from uh, from Nick, the history buff that he is, informed us that I was I made a mistake, which is why I should probably take this one because I I mildly not a full mistake. I'm gonna, I'll give myself a half mistake on this. I pronounced a thing last week, if I remember, it's Cam Fenton, and I said he mentioned something called SNIT, which is wrong. He mentioned something called SNIC, which is the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which was, again, the group which sent, which organized the Freedom Rides into the South during uh, the battle against segregation. Uh, there we go. I think I think more than anything, that's evidence that uh, people are simply more interested in, and, more, and listening more carefully to what you're saying than I, because I'm sure I made mistakes as well. But <laughs> they picked up on yours this week, so uh, maybe it's my turn. If anyone uh, any, anyone out there wants to let me know, yeah, yeah. So if you, everyone listen for Darren's voice. If he screws up, let him know. We need we need. I need. I'm I'm down one now. <laughs> He's up one nothing. I gotta. I, I need some help here. All right. So to comment number two uh, was from uh, Diana of Africa Files, which was very nice. There's a couple things that she sort of mentioned. Everyone can go back and read the whole comment if they like. Uh, but the two things I want to highlight is, one, how people get bombarded with messaging and tune out the noise. And that is a huge thing, I think. And that's something that I've mentioned in other places and I really, really agree with. Yeah. Um, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say that, I mean, it, it's important to sort of emphasize even more that, I mean, even just within the echo chamber of the environment, we're all battered to death with information constantly it would it is a physical impossibility for me to read all the emails that i get mm. uh now i do answer all, of course all the personal email but yeah. i mean all the mailing lists and notifications and this and that and this is up and that's up and you know and it's drowning and so and i mean to, to even put that you know outside of our own echo chamber to add to that all of other life's worries all of the other marketing that we're exposed to constantly i mean it's a it's a machine gun of information and and i think it's been it, due to technology and due to all this sort of constant pervasiveness of it, it's, you know, we, our brains, I don't think, have acclimatized to it yet. And so I think it's sort of a natural shock reaction mm. to, for just for the human species, yeah. due to sort of current technology, inter, uh, environment aside. Mm. You know, so I think that I think that's not only a, a correct point, but I think it's an incredibly vital point when understanding how to translate this information to other people is that you and your opinions are not the only ones that are being shoved in people's faces and sort of take that into context that it's difficult it's a challenge to get people who are not already super focused on this issue to even give it the time of day i think that's a very very good point yeah the second part you mentioned there about humans sort of not being adapting that sort of way is also was mentioned in the comment actually so well done in that uh-huh. one. i didn't read it for the record <laughs> i did read it though and we will read all your comments i read all the comments twice <laughs> um, but, and then the second point that, uh, that I wanted to bring in from that second comment was that she sort of believed that there should be a, a shift from education to action-based. Sort of, instead of telling people, this is the problem, we should tell people, do this. Mm. Uh, which I think is, is valuable, and I think that's a, a good point. We, we discussed this beforehand, and that there's a secondary part in the comment in which mentions the idea of whether or not you should, of whether or not small actions should be highlighted first. Mm-hmm. Um, which sort of gets into our larger whole conversation we're having after this sort of intro. But you had a, you said some comments about that. Well, I, I wanted to expand on, on if anything, that I, w- I would agree with the first part to the extent that I'd like to be more specific, which is that uh, it's not that education is not vital, it's that we've been doing education around the wrong things. And that, the in my opinion, there there's long been lots and lots and lots and lots of information about all the dangerous things about the environment, about toxins and this and that. There's never been a lack of information about that. Maybe a lack of information that's making it into the mainstream media, but should you desire to seek it out, it is there uh, and has been there for quite some time. Uh, I think the mistake, and we sort of highlighted this uh, a little bit in last uh, last episode, uh, was the idea that, yes, is that the education is around, you know, here's bisphenol A. Public should be scared of bisphenol A. Let's ban bisphenol A. Uh, you can Google what that is if you like. We won't bother getting into water bottles today, I don't think. Uh, but more importantly, I think the, the thing is, it's, it's not that we shouldn't be educating people about bisphenol A, is that there's no overlying narrative. And what we need to be talking to people about is the, o- the actual problem is the 
fact that we're full of system with no regulations and the companies are basically basically it's sort of a guilt, uh, innocent until proven guilty situation where we should never be into that situation uh, where it's like we have to wait until there's cancer being caused by something to then turn around and ban it and I think that's the narrative and that we can use things like education around bisphenol A and things like that as data points but instead I think what we've been seeing is is that over the past is that all the efforts been going into sort of scaring people about specific things so that they can pass specific education, which is really, really important, but you can't create a narrative from that. And uh, and I think that's very much what we're trying to do here. So yeah. that sort of, that informs very much that, but I just wanted to make that sort of nuanced uh, d uh, difference. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. I think the valuing of the, be able to create the overall narrative, uh, I think is something that people don't fully appreciate a lot. They sort of, people think politics are all about specific single ideas and like, here's a problem, here's how we solve it. But what really seems the most powerful is is movements and narratives create movements. Yeah, I and I mean a really good example of this that would break out of even the environment, which I, mm -hmm. I like to do because I, I don't like discussing this in, in an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. We decided yeah. basically last yeah. week that essentially you can't do that. So with that in mind, I mean uh, the, the point of uh, elections, right? I mean a lot of the issues, a lot of the polling uh, that's been coming out of the U.S. recently, especially having to do with the government shutdown and all these other things, uh, has been illustrated that. Poll after poll after poll has shown that regardless of the sort of 51, 48, whatever split between, you know, Republicans and Democrats across the board, you know, not taking into account precincts, just the popular vote, you know, Obama got more of the popular, he got over 50%, he won the popular vote as well. But if you go issue by issue and, and take away the politics, take away Obama, take away Romney or whoever, take all those names away and just ask people on an issue by issue basis, the left and the right agree Right. It's like you get numbers like 71 percent agreement, 85 percent agreement on issue after issue after issue. And that's where that whole nonsense of getting lost. And that's where the politics that everyone's so resentful about comes from is because we're being conquered and divided. And it's not about it's, it's partially having to do with, yes, we need to bring more people on board. I'd say even more than that is that we need to make the people who already agree with us realize that we agree mm -hmm. on almost everything. And that, you know, when they're talking about, I want smaller government and all those other things, there is a narrative that joins those two, but it's because there is no communication there. And, and I think, you know, if, like, if you went, took a hundred people in a room and you said, you know, who hates high taxes? <laughs> Left and right, both of them would put their hands up. Now you'd say, now, given that, you know, if you could have a little bit of tax, but you would get this huge benefit and here's the benefit and here's, here's what it would do for you, the same amount of hands would go up. Right, you just have to sort of create that narrative, but that's never how we discuss it. We never get everybody in a room and discuss things together. We all have our little only echo chambers, and I think it's it's just so sad, right? Because if we were sort of like could do elections on individual issues, mm. progressive points would be shot down, boom, 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 because most of us agree on them. Yeah. And and I think that's the real travesty of not creating a narrative, mm. uh, is that it is that it doesn't allow when you certainly just talk about talking points. It gets lost in a fog of talking points, and I think that's where our communication is broken down. Is that lot is for that lack of narrative? Yeah. As a, as a funny side note to this, and not as a, not to refute your point at all, but as an interesting note on what would happen if you actually did run a referendum on on most things. California does sort of that sort of process, and it's and what's funny about it is that here's California that has many of the more progressive systems, everything like that, uh, and they'll keep giving themselves people who are really good at giving themselves benefits from the government. But also, we're really bad at raising their own taxes. Right. So California got in this hilariously, not hilarious, but huge budget hole because people kept referendum voting for things they wanted and never referendum voting for raising taxes. Right. I think they finally, re I think they fixed that in the last election. In the last election, they were like, okay, maybe we should raise our taxes. And they actually did, which yeah. is impressive nonetheless. To have, a, to have a plurality of people to vote to raise your own taxes is yeah. impressive. Well, he is the governor. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I'll tell you what. Whoever really fact check that, because I bet you there was um, some part of what I just said was wrong. Um, all right, but let's get on to the actual show here. I think that's okay. That was excellent. Please do comment some more. That was great. We really love responding to comments. As you can tell, we will respond to every single one of them, unless you just swear at us. But then we'll just, you know we'll at least we'll at least talk about that. That'll be fun. This the show I like on on YouTube. Also, the David Pakman show has started this program called Hatriot Mail, Ooh. which is where people just say, "Hey, you liberal scumbag, you're an idiot." <laughs> Uh, and I find it rather entertaining. So please, no, if you wanted to swear to us, go right ahead. We'll probably play it anyway and oh, make you look true, like yeah. a fool. Yeah. Or just not. Maybe you're right. Maybe we just <laughs> fucked up and you just want to tell, call, take us a task. Yeah. I'll read oh, it line absolutely. for line. Absolutely. You said that the government of California did this. You're an asshole. All right, fair.
So as um, long as the, no matter how much swearing there is, as long as there's an actual point to what you're saying, yeah, we'll uh, we'll air it. Yeah, yeah. And if there's a seven swear words combined, if you do it interestingly, we'll probably still air it. Sure. Just put the word eco in there. There we go. All right. So the actual show title for today, and I'm I'm going to start this off with I'm going to throw out to you, Darren. You've never heard this theory before. I've made it up maybe 45 seconds ago, but it's something I've been thinking about for a while, and you'll sort of, you'll get tangents of something we have talked about before. Hit me. But the show, what you will see the title of the show, you already have, because you clicked on this right now, is Are You Really an Environmentalist? Because this came out, again, to link it back to the Beyond Queen Conference a little bit, this came out of the last panel of the last day, in which we sort of, we sort of asked, I think you actually asked the panel, do you have to care about climate to be an environmentalist? Mm -hmm. And that sort of caused an interesting rift in discussion, different sides from all different areas. And so we wanted to jump into this conversation too, because it really was something we found interesting. Mm. And I should, I should sort of preface your thought with just the idea that the reason I made that comment, and, and, and people keep misunderstanding me because I, I like to bring that up mm. frequently, is that I think it's a, it's a conversation that we need to have. Yeah. And I don't actually have a particular interest in one issue or the other, or at least I don't. It's one of those things where I may have an opinion, but I, I'm also not sort of certain that I have the right answer. Mm. Uh, it's just that it's nobody ever asks. Yeah. And I think that because I even ask, I frequently get the response of, hey, you know, we shouldn't be sort of choosing sides and, and say, okay, well, sure, but you also can't ignore something that's a legitimate issue. If yeah. somebody owns a tar sands company, you know, uh, the owner of Exxon, just because he puts a bunch of solar panels up or he cares about animal rights, to me, I have a really hard time calling him an environmentalist. And, I, and yes, you know, hierarchies and segregating people into little groups and, and being all sort of uh, uh, cliquey about the whole thing isn't constructive either. Uh, but words have meanings, and yeah. and we have to have some sort of standards about who's on the side and who's not. Yeah. And there's definitely a gray area in the middle, but there's also a really black area on one <laughs> end and a really white area on the other. And I and I, and I think to, to ignore that and only look at and only to sort of placate to the gray area uh, is shooting ourselves in the foot. Mm. Uh, yeah. Not that I think we need to swing the other way, I think we need to be right in the middle. Yeah, I, I, I'm also really interested in the questions that uh, environmentalists don't ask themselves. I think it's important. I think very early on in one of our shows, I, I said, line, um, it's very easy to be on the same side as if you're all losing. Mm. And I still think that's very much what the environmentalists currently are taking, the approach they're taking, is we'll take all, so all comers because we're not winning anyways, but I think there will be an issue common issue, which we've mentioned before, that once we start winning, because eventually I think we will, even if it might be too late, but I think we will, then you'll start seeing these cracks. And I think figuring out how we're going to deal with that now could be really make the process smoother later. Mm -hmm. All right, so here's my, my belief. Go for it. I think there are three types of environmentalists, and they sort of parallel the history of environmentalism a little bit. I start first with the conservationists. Everyone always starts with conservationists. If you've ever taken any course or anything about environmentalism, which tells you the history of environmentalism, that's the first thing to mention is conservationists. Which is kind of ridiculous, because really, you know, if you go back 300 years before that, the way Native Americans were living on on the land and taking care of it was better than anyone ever has since. So to give first credit to the environmentalists is kind of ignoring the people actually doing it right beforehand. But modern day environmentalism, I'm going to break down to three. It's like categories. giving white people credit for jazz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, like it didn't get popular until we did it, right? Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> but uh, so number one is the conservationists. I think that's a group of people out there. They're the kind of people to me who really like nature, but see nature as still something owned by them. Mm. Uh, they're the people who would fight against wind power in rural areas because mm -hmm. it's like it ruins the serenity of the of the natural area. Mm. That kind of that kind of thing, and it's. And there's, there's value to that, and there's, I think there's some extent, like, the idea that you want to keep the natural as natural as possible is, is at least defendable. Mm. I don't think it, I think the time for that has passed. I think, like, if, like, if they had been succeeded in, you know, keeping half the world natural in the 1800s, then we wouldn't be in the scenario you are now. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, we are in the scenario we are now, and to fight against wind power because it, you know, fucks up your view is no longer an acceptable opinion, in my view, in my mm -hmm. point. Um, well, it's, it, it also should be sort of mentioned, I mean, even <clears throat> former President Bush in the U.S. Uh, was responsible for, uh, I, this is one of those areas where someone's going to need to fact check me, but uh, I believe the largest marine uh, reservation ever, in the at least in the U.S. or in, right. within U.S. control, right. and a massive, uh, massive protected areas, and, and credit where credit is due, but, which you were waiting for, yeah, uh, <laughs> but... Uh, it also plays cover while 50,000 oil rigs go up. And so in that sort of where the failing of this, it's not the failing of the concept of conservation mm. or the concept of pristine naturalism. Uh, it's that 
you, you nailed the most important factor there, which is that it's localized concern for mm -hmm. the environment. I'm concerned about my backyard. Yeah. I want my area to look nice. And, and that's where that falls on its face. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think also the I think the secondary that I think keeps conservationism down in my books is that it still really does feel like it's we're projecting it for our own use. I think that idea that it's sort of that it's still we want we want nice parks because I want to go hiking in those nice parks. Not we want nice parks because they are an important part of an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I think that sort of dimension is important as well. On the other on the other hand, however, mm -hmm. I think it's very very important to mention that that uh, maybe because for for instance, Nature Conservancy of Canada is yeah. an incredibly valuable organization. Oh, sure. I think they do ama amazing amazing work, yeah. and and there are there are a hundred other organizations like them who do conservation as their main mm -hmm. uh, focus. And I and I just want to sort of make a note that we are not disparaging them in any way, uh, because I mean I think very easily you could sort of turn around from their perspective and say. Uh, you sort of you have to stop so uh, start somewhere, mm. and regardless of the motivations, this is happening, and it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, you know, and and I think that we could very easily be confused, uh, sorry, uh, accused mm. uh, of saying you know because it's not a perfect deal, we won't accept any deal, and that that is what has kept environmentalism back. Mm. And I think you could also make that argument, and that that would be a very valid argument for sure. Yeah, I, I think the big thing to to separate here is. The idea of conservationism as as it grew out of the beginning of the environmentalist movement, mm -hmm. and what conservationism really is now today. Precisely. And I think what it is today is legitimately like if you, whoever got the green belt installed, that's a clearly conservationist uh, move. But that's fantastic, and that that kind of that kind of protection now is, uh, of these small spaces is very much important and is very good. So I mean I I might even add a, I'm wondering to see if you do you agree with me on this one, um, but it, it's almost to say that if you're sort of actively working, like if you actually are a someone who works with the Nature Conservancy mm. of Canada, or you're you're actually doing conservation in some way, large or small, mm. uh, that you are part of the solution. Yeah. If you're just sort of interested in con uh, conservation and you sort of like to talk about it, but that's really all you do, you're part of the problem. <laughs> Because like conservation is one of those things where like as a concept it's insufficient it's it's almost insufficient by its definition because of the reality of the state is where we are mm. so that if you're you know if you're actually doing something about it great and I support you but if you're not we need you on our side working on things like climate change and policy and other things like that uh, because that does need cheerleaders yeah. that in 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 the climate debate cheerleaders are useful we need to stand up and be counted that this is important because yeah. this affects all of our lives in a much more long term sense than. A certain amount of parks does, and yeah. and the two are inextricably linked, and it's very difficult to separate them. Sure. But that would sort of be my opinion: is that I have a very, very high opinion of people who actually work on conservation, mm -hmm. and a not as high—I don't want to say low opinion—but <laughs> I'm sort of I would be more interested in them them sort of joining our voice, yeah, than than sort of cheering that because a lot of that—I mean, a lot of the stuff having to do with conservation these days is far less to do with activism and more to do with political pressure. Yeah. And that is done effectively by organizations like Nature Conservancy of Canada. They don't go and beg the government to give them some land. They raise money and buy that land. That's how they do it. And they're doing it through the system. And so, yes, if you are con physically contributing, even if it's just money, to actually making land protected, I'm a thousand percent on your side. But if you're not, we need you over here. Yeah. So let's let's separate the two ideas. And we'll now, for, for future purposes of this podcast, we were talking about conservationists in the sense of understanding of what people sort of began being environmentalists in the first place, which is sort of land use for their own purposes. Right. That's what I'm using that as a set of people. Okay. Because honestly, I bet you most people, I want most people who are actually working in this sort of field, I bet I would consider probably in the third group, and this is the way they're sort which I'll get to, but this is the way they're sort of manifesting that, which I think is the big difference. I think that there's, the conservationist is more of a theory in my head, not the set of people. And the set of people are probably actually much more interested in other environmental things, like, like climate change, but this is the way they're fighting for that, which I, it's great. It's a good way to do it. But anyways, part two of my history of environmentalism slash type of environmentalists are the 60s and 70s, uh, which everyone always mentions, it's the, it's, you know, it was a hippy-dippy era. Uh, it was the time for, that's when they got the Clean Water Act in, they got, the, the, you know, Silent Spring, they sort of had all these things going for them. Save the whales? Save the whales, exactly, yeah. But I think you get, in that subset of people, you get this kind of combination of Earth is sacred with sort of activisty kind of combination of subset. Sort of like, if you were doing anything that hurts, that does makes the Earth less earthy, then you are doing something wrong and must be stopped. Mm-hmm. 
which sort of I think it also comes a bit out of the anti-nuclear movement because the nuclear weapons sort of then led to nuclear plants. So I sort of bundle those that as a subset of saying people who are sort of they're not conservationists because they care about the whole earth, but they're not but they're very absolutist mm. in my sense in that sense. It's sort of if you are harming the earth or any animal on the earth, animal rights activists I would include in the same bundle. Um, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's the sort of set of people I sort of, that's my second set of people. Mm-hmm. Not they all have come from the 60s and 70s, we see them now, I'm sure they existed before that, but it sort of fits with the time frame. The origin of the movements and... Exactly. Yeah, just yeah exactly, yeah. You know, like one of the, you know, the fact that it's one of the first big movements really cared about whales. That was one of the first things they did, mm-hmm. which is a, a sort of, it's one of those important issues that is sort of, I would consider a side issue from what really should be doing now. But again, it's it, when you're absolutist on the issue. I think absolutist is the, is the, is the, is, the, is actually a word that I really want to hammer home here on this idea of earth harming bad. Is <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, even call it sort of like ethical purists mm. in the sense that in the, the sense that absolutist tendencies usually come from a ethics based place. Mm. Uh, and feel free to disagree, but that's certainly been, that's sort of been yeah. my uh, my experience mm. uh, is that is that usually the sort of most you're either my enemy or my uh, or my ally. Mm-hmm. People tend to be people who are coming to it from a ethical point of view. Yeah, and and I'm not unsympathetic to that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just not an absolutist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and I, and, I, and I'll get back to exactly how I think this affects overall environmentalism after I go to the third subset of people, which is today's people of climate change is so important we cannot do anything else but that kind of set of people and that sort of i think that defines environmentalism as 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 the last podcast we mentioned the idea of how so many people are leaving other areas of environmentalism to come to climate change because basically the work they were doing in other areas are are, are is now being undone by climate change mm-hmm. so it's become a thing where i think if you are passionate about the environment climate change is your thing now and that's it so that's how I basically define these three camps. Mm-hmm. And where I find the interesting, and I, I find what I find interesting is sort of how these three camps combat with each other in different times. And I think the, the where these three camps battle each other is the blind spots environmentalists often put up. Mm-hmm. I would say this comes in nuclear power, especially, comes with GMOs, mm-hmm. comes a little bit with sort of animal rights. You sort of see that sometimes. And like the, if you eat, you know, eating vegan that had to fly the quinoa across the place was actually probably worse than if you had just eaten a local pig or chicken mm-hmm. uh you know i think honestly i think beef production is so bad that no matter what you're doing with beef production it's probably it's probably not great I'll, I'll i'm sorry all of alberta yeah but <laughs> i'll go on record as agreeing with that yeah but but so like there's things like that i think the places most often where there's sort of arguments that are most strongly against and what i and and, and these are the blind spots we put up and it's interesting is, is they is i i don't ever get I, I want to find a real environmentalist take this on i think recently i heard Again, this is going to be one of those things where I don't actually remember who said it, so you're going to have to trust me on this or find it. Maybe I'll post it under it so I can find it. But some environmentalist group came out supporting nuclear power, mm-hmm. which is cra- which is kind of weird right now. It's like, it kind of nuclear power is one of those things that no one wants to talk about. And nuclear power is one of my favorite things to talk about because it's such a blind spot of environmentalism. And just so I can throw my my two cents on the issue is if you get rid of the social, the environmental justice aspects that plague nuclear power, mm-hmm. which is basically that the uranium afterwards gets put in places that is not great um if you get rid of that i am a huge supporter of nuclear power i think it's it does a job that we need it to it's a reliable consistent source of energy which with the way the energy grid works is really important and as, if you can separate if you can separate it from the social justice issues which it does cause and then they, they should find a better way to more adequately store and keep it in, and i know that's quite adequately stored blah blah, blah. But if they can find a way to not harm the pores of society with their with their waste, mm-hmm. then by all means it's a necessary part. And like nothing nothing annoys me more than environmentalist victory in Germany that shuts down nuclear power plants and they build coal power plants. Mm-hmm. Nothing bothers me more. And I'm sure there are thousands of people who are super stoked about that and thought this was a huge victory. And in my head, it's just like, what are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that's a huge group between sort of the ethicalists. Who, th- who see sort of this kind of thing as as you're doing something unnatural that's bad uh, versus sort of more climate change is all important so let's just figure out the best way of dealing with it right now kind of people. Well, and, it's, and I think to, to sort of paint the complete picture of what you're painting, just to, to sort of back it up to its biggest level, oh. is that so what we've basically got is, you know, we'll pick an arbitrary number that's yeah. neither relevant nor doesn't matter. Uh, but let's say four groups of, you know, generally we agree 
uh, on most things. I really like how you put that. I think I want to uh, underline it a little bit. Is that we're, it's very easy to be, all be on the same side when you're all losing. Mm. Uh, I think that's a really powerful thought because um, it's it's true to the extent that yeah, when nothing's going any of our way, uh, sort of it's like oh, there's so many of us and we can't get anything done and this is corruption and it's terrible. But as soon as one sort of person does have some success, say the part of the section of the environmentalists that are super for nuclear power, the rest of them turn around and stab them in the back even faster than the right wing can mm. or the, the, the sort of the we don't care about any of this club can. And it's like, we're you know, the second one of us sort of claws ahead, it's like, you know, a bunch of crabs in a bucket mm -hmm. uh, to reference a song that I like. <laughs> um, but just where it's like, you know, as soon as somebody sort of steps on somebody's head to get a little bit farther ahead, the rest of them are like, screw you. If we don't do this all together, nothing happens. Mm. And, and that, that, that's almost been as much of a detraction of us getting anything done as the other 50%. And that's sort of what I wanted to back it up right. to is that sort of where it's not that you were implying this, but yeah. we sort of, it's always sort of gets discussed when we're talking about this sort of thing uh, that, okay, well, there's these groups of people and we sort of list all the various types of environmentalists. It was like, but that's only about half people. <laughs> and it's not, and, I, and the reason that my show is called The Green Majority is because I don't believe it at a fundamental level. I think that vast majority of people do care about these issues they just get distracted or they're not they're not sort of informed about the consequences of their actions and that and that really is an education issue to an extent but that education isn't enough uh and that it's about it's about doing that but i think it needs to be that as far as like a voting thing you know pre-changing anybody's mind just the way the map lays right now is it roughly in a lot of places about half the amount of people at least in you know canada and the u.s don't care. Yeah. And I think sort of, so once you get it into like 100%, 50% of them don't care or are, op, you know, have differing views in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And then the other 50% is cut up into these four groups. It's really not rocket science to figure out why we can't get change and why, you know, the super progressive people like Elizabeth May don't get elected. Mm -hmm. uh, not that I sort of like, you know, she's the only solution, uh, but I think she's a hell of a lot better than some of the other options. <laughs> and I think that, and that's the critical thing to understand. Mm -hmm. is that, and, and I think that it's, and to an extent where I don't think it's going to be possible to, and this is sort of the second part, I do not think it's going to be possible to ever get that entire 50% on board yeah. uh, for everything. So well, I think the solution to that is to be more strategic in the sense that, you know, if I have my opinions, but I'm not going to come on here and say that my opinions are correct. Mm. Uh, I have information. I have reasons I believe the way that I believe. But there's a variety of people who are informed who have differing opinions than me, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the point is, is that on an issue, like whatever your issue might be, if you think you're right and you have the right solution, then stop trying to look for support from within the other environmentalist movement mm. that's going to disappear the second you make an advance on mm. something, is to reach across the aisle. And if you think nuclear power is the way to go, which I don't, I'm not even going on record as saying that I am, I actually don't think so, but then reach across the aisle and try and get... Every, this is what we were talking about at the beginning, yeah. about getting everybody on board and not just sort of like picking 10 people from your group of friends. It's not like picking your top 10 for your free phone calls, <laughs> right? You need to have access to everybody. Right. And if you think you're right, then make your case to everyone, Yeah. right? And and stop playing this sort of like fractured left sort of game yeah. thing. Yeah, I, I want to, I wanna, as a, before I get any angry emails, I want to support that. I also, I think nuclear power is an important subset of what we're doing. And I, I'm fully against taking it down to support fossil fuels. I would obviously like to see the money, more investment going into renewable energies, and I think that's the actual future. But I, in my, if I can fully explain my position, I think it's a it required stopgap until we can fully switch to renewable energy. Mm -hmm. that's, my, that's my place on it. My, um, my position is, is simply that most people who are environmentalists and are, and, and are sort of, in my opinion, sort of blindingly pro-nuclear power do so on the basis that, yes, okay, it's not perfect, mm -hmm. but it's the only realistic solution. That's, that yeah. is basically the only argument, mm -hmm. uh, is, that it's not, is that alternatives to nuclear power other than fossil is not realistic. Mm -hmm. I would say, A, the nuclear idea isn't any more realistic, mm -hmm. A, just because of physical things. Like, it's, it's one thing to talk about it as a concept about where would we like our power to come, and mm -hmm. then, you know, fantasize about, okay, what might that look like? Um, if you're going to do that, why, are you, why not go for the best solution? Mm -hmm. Like, if you're... And, and I, so I feel like they, they don't really accept the reality of what implementing that would mean. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're very well informed about the reality of the status of the renewable energy market. Mm. Um, I think it's underplayed con constantly. And the people who generally, in my opinion, sort of say the, yes, I love wind turbines and sunshine, you know, and everything powered on good feelings too, mm. but it's not going to happen, are still sort of have one of their feet planted in the old way of thinking, which right. is that the only way to do this is by big top-down corporations run by governments, tons of money and I, and they're just like ah that's not realistic it's mm -hmm. like well 
I don't think you really know what is realistic. Right. Is my response, and and I think that you it's sort of it's it, the, it's only a half evolved thought, mm. and I'm sure that's going to piss a whole bunch of people yeah. off. Uh, and I'll happily you know yeah. we'll uh, we'll happily dig into that a little bit more. Yeah. But that's that's the position that I've come to after doing a lot of research in both renewables and in nuclear. Mm. The decision that I've come to is essentially that they're both kind of pipe dreams in a way. Uh, but so if we're going to pick a pipe dream, why don't we pick the one with the best options, mm. not the sort of halfway options? Right. Uh, if I can, I'm going to offer a quick counterpoint then we get off nuclear because we can talk about this forever and I'm sure we'll have a podcast later which can discuss more of these issues. Actually, if you have any comments on, on nuclear, throw them our way and then when we do do a podcast just on that, we can just go through all of our comments about this and we can really parse this discussion out. I also want to pose a question before I, as the last thought and we move on, that if you are, a, if you're one of the people in the who's against nuclear power, which I'm sure there's at least half our audience uh, is... Um, Usually 50% of any audience. Yes. <laughs> uh, do you, I want to know if you agree with this idea that if you were able to, if you were able to get rid of the actual social justice issues out of, out of nuclear power, would you support at least keeping the already built infrastructure there? I think, no, I'm not asking you that. You can, you can, you can <laughs> later. I saw you jump at it. I want, I, I want, I want the audience and we'll, we'll discuss this whole idea later. Okay. All right. We'll come back to that. Another, another podcast. We'll talk about nuclear power. I, as for last final thought that I want to make about nuclear power, because I think I would love to offer the opposite counterpoint to what you said mm -hmm. about what I find most common about the people who are a hundred percent, uh, against nuclear power and think that the entire subset of things should be done like everything should be shut down for renewables. I think most often they their biggest lack is a full understanding of how the current energy grid works and how difficult it would be to have a power that isn't a baseline power in some places. Mm -hmm. When you have hydro as an option, then hydro can solve that problem. Mm -hmm. But in places where you don't have hydro, to switch to a completely renewable and especially if it's just solar and wind, like geothermal can sort of solve this problem as well because that's more consistent. But to do that switch to how that is, it sort of ends up, I don't fully think they understand how an energy system works, energy grid works, and the importance of having energy available at all times. Mm -hmm. I think that's sort of the, and, and I think that's, I, I'm, I'm honestly confusingly interested in energy infrastructure. Uh, and so we have a whole topic on that too later. Um, and I, I love, like, I think actually, actually it'd be great to have a whole conversation on this podcast about uh, hard and soft energy grids, because I think that's something that no one really understands, and something that's really important. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll get to that later. Uh, so basically, so we've now sort of covered our three bases. We've talked about nuclear energy for an extended period of time for no real reason. Beyond that, sort of, ex it, it sort of exemplifies this this break. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's come back to the main the question that we've sort of started with this. Are you really an environmentalist? Like, say if we... I'm trying to think of some examples of hypothetical people who we can then discuss whether or not they're an environmentalist or not. Mm -hmm. Or whether or not this, you know, question, again, go back to the very beginning of this conversation, and whether that question is actually worth it at all. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like, let's say there's a person who is huge animal rights activist, you know, is a, is a vegan, which, which is great, and they're kind of interested in climate change, but they basically sort of just, like... They identify as an environmentalist, but they don't actually do anything. Mm. And I don't want to say that people who are vanamorisavis and vegans are obviously not doing anything. This is a hypothetical person. I'm not making any judgments either of those two things. Please don't get mad at me. In fact, they tend to be more vocal about their activism than anybody else a lot of the time. Yeah, it's true. To be fair. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> perhaps, perhaps in that's a positive that that should be that climate people should actually start taking. Maybe that's maybe that's part of the solution. But say that's the thing. And, uh, here, I'll add another one. And they really hate GMOs. They are an active campaigner against GMO or for GMO labeling. Mm -hmm. Is that person an environmentalist? Uh, I, well, I, 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 I find it difficult to answer that question without sort of giving a little bit of preface. Uh, the preface that I would like to give is that is sort of well, I have to define at this point, I guess, what environmentalist is for me, uh, before I can say if they are or not. Right. Uh, and sort of, I've been thinking about. We talked about this during our, our first TV show, which uh, which did end up making it to air, but I, I listened to it about twenty times. Uh, the Actually, conversation. You can sort of watch it on my on my uh, website. Yes. It's only on my website. It's not even actually up on our YouTube channel. You have to go to my website and then find it. But it is there if you really do want to see it. We, which we somewhat buried because it was uh, obviously the first shot and it was a little rough. But, yeah. Uh, but we, it's there. It is there, Could you should you care to listen to it. Uh, but as far as the definition, I'm, I've been thinking a lot since then about that. And that's been a question that's been on my mind. And sort of where I've arrived at now is, and it's, it, I mean, it's still very fluid, um, but, but I've been putting energy into trying to answer that question. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Environmentalist is kind of a catch-all term for uh, a, a group of beliefs. 
And there are a subset of those people who are actively sort of thinking at the meta level. And I think there's two ways you could go with it. And I sort of haven't decided which one I prefer. One of them is that if you are sort of acting in any area of the environment, uh, and as long as you don't actively disagree with science in some area, like, so for instance, like if you, I'll give a practical example, someone who's uh, really for GMO labeling, uh, but what they're interested in is the fact that like what they really don't like is the basically the corporate aspect, right? They don't like a private company owning the life and this is a moral issue. They're not really an environmentalist because like they're what they're talking GMO could be an environmental issue and it is an environmental issue, but their concern really isn't from an environmental angle. Mm -hmm. I don't really think they're an environmentalist because they're not arguing about the environment. Right. Like the thing is in the sense that okay, well if they're like if they're if the part that they're interested in the GMO thing is about the big business corruption thing, mm -hmm. the fact that, that that issue is tangential to environmental issues. Well, the environment's tangential to everything. Right. That would make everybody an environmentalist, right. which I think in some sense it is, but that's not a mean, it's not a it's not a definition that's useful in any sort of conversation. Mm. And so I think you need to have something more specific. So as long as you are someone that cares about the environment in a general philosophical sense and you approach any issue from that perspective, regardless of what your opinion is and whether or not I agree with you, mm. I'm comfortable calling you an environmentalist. Mm. So in that sense, as long as the way that the person is approaching it is from a mindset of I care about the earth and life is precious and we should, it, we, we, I don't, you know, maybe it's self-centered. Maybe they're like, I don't want to wipe out all life on earth. Maybe it's for my kids and, and self-interest. I'm cool with that. Mm -hmm. Whatever, whatever, you, whatever makes you happy. Yeah. Whatever works for you. But as long as it's, and the environment as a concept needs to be protected, whether it's for altruistic or selfish needs, I'm cool with calling you an environmentalist. So it would really depend on how they were coming to that issue. And I mm. think that, that for me is sort of where I've evolved to on my definition. Mm. There's another use, though, that I think is, is useful, which is that you could say that it's only people who are operating at the metal level are mm. really environmentalists and that everybody else is just... Uh, it, they have environmental concerns. There, some of their stuff is tangential to the environment, but they're actually, in the story I was getting at, they're actually social justice people. Right. And and there's a strong allegiance to be made with the environmentalists on this issue, but that doesn't the, the term doesn't transfer just because they work together. Right. And, and so that's where it's like it really would depend on the individual person. Right. I couldn't define it topic by topic. It's really person by person. Right. And, and I think it's the, it's the direction by which you approach it. Right. Interesting. It's a good argument, I think. Where I sort of come from is... I sort of, it's similar to you, I have this sort of two spots in my head. There's one part of me that wants to support, or wants to be, feel like I'm on the right team, and feel in this team that has the justice and the truth behind me, mm -hmm. which I think, I think environmentalists do have. Mm -hmm. So it really irks me when people who call themselves green go out and do something that I think is absolutely dumb, mm -hmm. or just negative in many ways. That part of me wants to be like, kick every, all of them out, mm -hmm. basically. Being like, you're making the rest of us look bad, you now get to be called something else. Mm -hmm. And then the other half of me, though, comes from the sort of sense, sort of comes out of a study that was done at U of T recently, looking at how people understood the words environmentalist and feminist. Mm -hmm. And both of them were seen negatively. Mm -hmm. And both of them sort of, people couldn't identify with the terms as terms themselves. So they were both viewed as... So the words you got out were negative. We're, all, we're, we're, over, we're not all negative, but we're overwhelmingly negative. And I think feminism has done a pretty good job in actually pushing this kind of everyone's a feminist first, and you have to be sort of a dick not to be. Mm -hmm. But of course, then, then again, there's still definitely a lot of stigma because I think there still is a stigma involved in feminism. I think that's a, because you can see it day, plain as day. So many men who, or and so many women who refuse to say they're feminists because they think it means X, Y, Z when it really doesn't. And I think the same can be said with the word environmentalist, but I think there's obviously different reasons why. I think environmentalist has this weird stigma, partially because I think a lot of people don't really want to say they're environmentalists, because it opens them up to the sort of hypocrisy claim. That's like, oh, you're an environmentalist, but you have to drive to work. Or, oh, you're an environmentalist, you have to do this. So I think a lot of people don't want to say they're environmentalists because everyone's out to find the environmentalist so they can point it, that it's not doing something, and then validate themselves. Mm -hmm. Which I think comes from a bigger step back point that I think people see the word environmentalist, environmentalism, as blaming them to some extent. Because everything we end up saying is, holy shit, things are going to hell, and that we need a big shift in our society. It sort of seems like if you're a part of society, we're saying you're the problem. 
It's it's the, the it's me saying I'm an environmentalist translates into an accusation that you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Even if I don't say anything else, yeah. your next thought is this person's about to accuse me of something or may try to make me feel bad for something or tell me I'm doing something mm. wrong and go and go to hell. And that's why I think, and I think that's a very logical reaction. Yeah. I mean, and I'll and I'll put it in I'll put it in a different example. I put. Uh, you know, I was thinking, uh, you know, if I went on a, on a date and mm. the first person said, you know, blind date and the first thing was, hi, I'm whoever and, you know, and I'm a feminist, I'd go, oh, God, here we go. And it's not because I'm not a feminist. I'm a huge feminist. I, it's, I'm much more so than most men that I know um, concerned about uh, women and their rights and, and, and sort of equality and all those things. It's something I think about a lot. But it's sort of it's sort of saying it's sort of holding out a shield in front of you saying this is the most important thing to me. Mm. And I and I want to draw an even further sort of thing to illustrate my point. Uh, I'm someone who's particularly uh, non-religious. It's not I don't really have any particular feelings, you know, strong feelings one way or the other about it in most cases at most times, as long as sort of I, but I'm really not a big fan of people coming up to me and saying, you know, you should believe the way I do and, and going. It's like, oh, it's just I do. I don't care. <laughs> and, you know, and you can disagree with me, but, you know, someone might disagree with me about it. that issue. That's not really the point. The point I wanted to make, though, is that if whatever religion it is, let's say you're a Christian mm -hmm. and someone comes up to you and says, hi, I'm Mike and I'm a Muslim. And that's the first thing that like that's how they introduce themselves. Mm -hmm. The other person's gonna go, oh god, here we go. You know what's you know what's funny right? about and that? it's the same reaction. Right. It's that you're about to go on about me for something where I either I already think you're wrong, mm -hmm. or I don't care, or I don't care nearly as much as you do, and you're, there's a wall that goes up mm -hmm. immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't. I think you could exchange that with anything, and it's because people view it as an ideology mm -hmm. and not simply a label for an awareness of something. Yeah, I'm concerned about this issue, and I would like to have a discussion with you. Should be about solutions and about what the actual problems are. Mm -hmm. And it should be the implication, but it isn't. Yeah, it's it's viewed as an ideology, and that it's and and as an ideology that it's sort of that there are conclusions that are drawn that we haven't really thought out. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the implication. You care only about trees, but not about people, mm. as opposed to us and trees require each other. Well, trees don't require us, but we require <laughs> trees. Yeah. So I'm actually making a very selfish argument that you should be very very prone to, even mm. if you don't give a crap about the inherent value of nature. Yeah, and that should be what people think, but it isn't. Yeah. There's a mild uh, thing I would have find funny, and sort of I think it was maybe because of my upbringing. I would almost see if I was the Christian, some case as a Muslim, I think I would almost understand, I, I feel like I would be more likely, oh God, here we go, if they said they were an atheist. Right, exactly. Yes. Partially because I think there's, there's, there's the Muslim Christian have some solid, have some, have some like, oh, we're both at, at sort least of understand Canada, each yeah. other a little bit. Yeah, yeah, they're not. Yeah, um, we agree there's something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if the first thing someone said is I am an atheist, I'm like, oh, god damn it, seriously this again? All right, fine. But I think it's right. It really does come down to the. I think you hit the nail on the head with the difference between it being an ideology versus a descriptor. Right. And I think that's the biggest. That's the biggest sort of shift, is that there's, is that there are people who are. Envi who see environmentalism and feminism as an ideology, and I think there's, there is an ideology, mm -hmm. but to be called an environmentalist or a feminist, you are you have to you have to understand and look at things from this angle. I think, mm -hmm. like a feminist, the most common description of feminist is someone who believes that men and women should be treated equally in all ways. Mm -hmm. Done, and they get all these annoying little nitpickers who do all these weird fucking shit. But like the point is, that's basically the same thought, and the environmentalist at the most base levels, someone who thinks the environment needs to be protected for the benefit of everyone. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the, the thing where it falls apart is you think, oh, because you're a feminist, or oh, because you're a Christian, or oh, because you're an atheist, or oh, because you're whatever, mm -hmm. you therefore think this. Yeah. And that is a huge problem because it's not true. Yeah. It, it's not true for the sake of people like us. It is true in the fact that there are lots of people out there mm -hmm. who are concerned about anything or even uh, climate change or a smaller uh, sort of subset mm -hmm. issue who are purely ideologically driven yeah. and just think that anyone that doesn't agree with them is 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 an asshole and mm -hmm. that they're basically trying to badger them into believing that basically drinking the same Kool-Aid they drank. Yeah. And those people, I think, are the most counterproductive parts of the movement mm. because you cannot present an ideology by force. Right. Right. If, if someone's going to come to that ideology, they have to come to it on their own. Mm -hmm. Right. People get, uh, you know, absorbed into the thing because they grew up with it. It's part of their culture. They learn about it through osmosis, through all their friends. And that's where a lot of where the environmentalism comes up. Right. Most people who are environmentalists had family members or friends or people mm -hmm. who are other who were concerned about this. And they they learn to have an appreciation for the nuance and the interesting. Mm -hmm. But the real people who are really solving problems are interested in a conversation. Yeah. And and it doesn't. And that's sort of where we're getting into about the definition of the word, because if you're approaching environmentalism from a purely ideological uh, point of view and nothing else, mm. you're extremely damaging. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you're extremely damaging because it's more about you 
than it is about actually getting results done. Yeah. And that is a huge, huge problem with our movement. Yeah. I think, well, it's a problem with every movement, I think. I mentioned this in a blog post a while ago, and I think it's actually really interesting. In gay rights, one of the biggest things they did, or not the biggest, and one of the things they did, is always mentioned, there's a couple things that, that were really successful. The first was the sort of normalization factor of of having some uh, having uh, of having shows on TV that were that were featured gay characters. The the senators that recently changed their votes on gay marriage because it turns out their kids were gay. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and it affects you. You yeah. have a nice opinion about it. Oh. Well, and, and, and 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 well, and just the numbers. The numbers of people that would support gay marriage once they knew one gay person were so much higher. Right. And I think that's that's I think what this study from U of T shows. And I think also what the takeaway from this is: be an environmentalist. Have that be a thing people know you about, mm-hmm. and then just be yourself. Just be a normal, nice person. Yeah, like, and like I think there's really useful. I think just being the environmentalist or the guy or the woman who is a care of environmentalist and passionate about that, but also isn't going to get mad at you for things. Mm-hmm. The dichotomy we have to make here, I think, is the difference between the environmentalists, which I think is everybody, mm-hmm. and the environmental movement, which is a subset of people who are actually acting on it. Mm-hmm. And I would say like 80, 95% of people are actually environmentalists. Unless you're making money off oil, you're denying climate change, or you just torture rabbits, I'm going to call you an environmentalist. Maybe you're not a part of the environmental movement, and maybe you even have issues about how the environmental movement is going. Mm-hmm. But if you care about the future and you care about your children, I'm going to call you an environmentalist. And sort of, I think, where I finally fit in, I've sort of decided of how I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. I re- referenced back a while ago, I had that whole bit about about how I want to kick the people out who I don't, I don't agree with, but I think... In the end, we have to sort of, we have to change the t- name, basically. Because if you have one person who is acting in a way uh, out of 85 or 90% of people, you don't say, oh, environmentalists are dumb, right? Because if you understand, if you actually understand that 90% of people are actually environmentalists, then a couple of the weird people, you know, it's, it's like that eight old adage of, was, I think it's actually, it's a uh, XKCD comic, uh, which is, I love that comic. But there's one that's a guy doing math, and he's bad at it. And someone's like, ha, you suck at math. A girl doing math, he's like, ha, women suck at math. It's that thing. It's it's that slight difference, which I think environmentalists can, by opening the net to the 90%, can get completely beyond. Mm-hmm. It's like, ha, you're crazy, not hot environmentalists are crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we sort of have to go. And the, the the biggest problem, of course, to bring this full circle is that mm. for the other side, for the people who aren't, uh, you know, for the for the news that makes it to the mainstream media and reports from like protests and stuff, the false neutrality mm. means that people who their only exposure to the environment is through the regular corporate media, mm. they more often than not are only seeing those people who are purely devoted, uh, you know, motivated by uh, idealism and ideology, mm. and and aren't sort of trying to bring people on board. Maybe they think they are, but in my opinion, I wouldn't think they are really Mm. not doing anything that would make me think that they're really interested in growing the movement Mm. so much as publicly wagging their finger at people. And that's the only exposure a lot of people have, which is, oh, here it comes, a great reason to support this podcast. (laughs) This is the conversation that isn't being had anywhere Mm. else, and then that's why I think this is so important, is we're just trying to normalize people, and, you know, we... We have opinions that, you know, I'm sure we've probably offended a whole ton of people with several of our comments, oh, God, and not yes. just from the swearing, uh, also <laughs> from the opinions. But the point is, is that you and I are both here because we're solutions-based, and we're yeah. interested in having a conversation. And I think that most people who are interested in the environment are interested in having a conversation. We need to make our voice loud and heard just as much as the uh, tar sands companies, but also mm-hmm. just as much as the sort of unfortunate few... Uh, really loud people who maybe don't agree with the rest of us, but unfortunately we're all being defined by. Hmm. Yeah, closing thought, I think I would have to say that I absolutely, I stole the idea of environmentalists via environmental movement from you from earlier, so I should give you some credit for that one. I think that was great. Um, (laughs) And I really think that if you want to be selective with your people, call yourself the environmental movement. If you want to know who's environmentalist, I think you've got to include that 90-95% of people who actually just want to see good lives for themselves and their kids. Mm -hmm. So to answer the question of the title of the podcast, Are You Environmentalist? I'm going to say yes. Unless you're listening to this podcast purely for masochistic reasons and you just want to hear someone you hate this entire time. Then uh, I have a lot of pity for you. Yeah, that's kind of weird. But you should also leave us a note and so we know one of you exists. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so we'll we'll, we'll wrap up there. I think that's a good place as any. Uh, By all means, please do comment. If you answer the question halfway through about if you do Aryan's nuclear power, I want to know your answer to that question. And I want to know just any comments on the whole thought. Do you call yourself environmentalist? Why or why not? 
Sure, I would. I would like some suggestions specifically on other people's definitions of the environment, oh, like what an cool. environmentalist is. Yeah. Let's let's get a little bit of a conversation started with that. There is space for comments on mm. the website, so you guys not only can leave messages for us, but have a conversation amongst yourselves. Uh, as is the point. Yeah. Uh, so please do. Yeah. So thanks a lot. This is a shad to play us out, and uh, tune in next time. A freak, freak to it. I said the beat to it. It's unique music. A rock, rock to it. A freak, freak to it. I said the beat to it. This is how we do it. Shaq and Cox plots and perfects clever scams. You can't find a better man in any better jam. MCs can't see the flow. Unbelievable. We set records even when the need is broke. Don't need the dough. Ask if more bank be your buck. The only lands it can knock. They can't handle a puck. Play penalty killer skillfully pass and poke check. When black flows jet, there's more. Cast an OPEC or Exxon, Exxons exploit the oil fields of the inner city. Someday I hope the soils heal. I toil building a dream where my future can stay safe. Place where I never have to move it or vacate. Physically I'm not in great shape cause I placate. And don't consume greens besides whatever grass my steak ate. The fakes keep printing but I just don't care. Wearing forces is the only time I put on ears. I spit a hard hit in verse. When I'm spitting it hurts. I never shift in the first. Let alone put the whip in reverse. My freestyling's like a gift in a curse. So sick with the verse, they gotta think I'd written it first And plus my skills with sounds thrills the crowds I could fill my mouth with Prozac pills And I'd still get down rock to it A freak freak to it, a to the beat to it It's unique music, a rock rock to it A freak freak to it, a to the beat to it This is how we do it, uh Now whether the raw stage or in the studio space We schooling cats to the game is just the usual case I'm like you wanna learn the flow, homie, move to the base And if you wanna make dough, homie, move to the stage like Suckers in style and musical taste Plus when we step on the stage and flash that beautiful face It makes the honey's heart beat above a suitable pace Showing the super stylistics very few could replace I'm not ill, rap scholar never sweat the finances Just taking out a bank loan big as my campus These MCs need to stop taking their chances Why scrap when you know my arm's stronger than Lance's Turbin' France with these mad rappers locked in these dances They thought they had a move until I blocked their advances I be low-key Chillin', rhymes filling the whole sheet. Feelings downloading all sizzlons, so seek. Student slash rapper, so I'm dealing with no sleep. I'm still a cold thief when I'm still in the show. Peeps, get at this young brother with taps. My tongue smothers the whack. The tongue never uncovered the traps. So I'm trying to give light through these mic devices. Not that I'm perfect, only Christ was viceless. But there's too many dealing with a life in crisis. All I want's a warm home and a wife that's righteous. We gon' get there, y'all. We gon' rock to it. We gonna rock to it. Yeah, we rock to it, we gon' rock to it A freak freak to it, a to the beat to it It's unique music, a rock rock to it A freak freak to it, a to the beat to it This is how we do it I like the bitch mark, I write rap tunes in the bathroom My influences are Black Moon and Pat Boone I roll with a whole platoon of fat goons And keep the hair on their backs groomed with the Dow Sassoon Pick up the phone just to get the tone in my bicep Claim I gotta leg up so when I walk the talk I high step as a fetus I kick Rhymes up on these scans Even back in 82 my ultrasound was the jam I just rock to it Never get forced into nothing With words like a mullet cutting short on the front end y'all Life's more than cake, no offense to the ballers But we all pay too much attention to dollars Brainwashed, yo I'm still learning how to be me Worth millions, I'd rather be freak than uniquely no, I may never know myself completely If I make it home, then maybe then I'll meet me Just a capital B boy like Beat Street and DC Rock to it while I take it easy Come on, we gon' rock to it A free free to it A to the beat to it It's you and need music A rock rock to it A free free to it A to the beat to it It's how we do it A rock rock to it A free free to it A to the beat to it It's you and need music A rock rock to it A free free to it A to the beat to it this is how we do it, a rock rock to it, a freak freak to it, a to the beat to it, it's unique music, a rock rock to it, a freak freak to it, a to the beat to it, this is how we do it.